it also really, I think on a visceral level can remind us sometimes that like it takes something to be a leader in your own life and actually commit to impossible things becoming real and becoming true. What's it gonna, what's it gonna take? What's it gonna take for you to finally break up with your bullshit? Thing where you could do if you could only break up with your bullshit. I- Hello and welcome to the Break Up With Your Bullshit podcast. I am Michelle Aiken and I just stuttered because I realized that the intro to this podcast is going to change because I've been saying one thing for a really long time that I'm the coach for creatives who need a kick in the ass and I support artists in breaking up with their bullshit and getting their art out into the world and my niche is changing. So uh, that's going to need a revamp right there, but uh, we'll get to that in a little bit because right now I want to say hello to my guest today, a very beloved friend of mine. She is the receiver of my anxiety text messages on a weekly, dare I say (laughs) daily basis, Um, but she is also a brilliant coach for creatives and the author of How to Be Creative in the Age of Digital Noise. Did I say that right, Laura? Yes, that was really good, Michelle Aiken, MCC. Thanks. So this is Laura Westman, everybody. Hey, (laughs) y'all. What's going on? (laughs) Um, So so Laura, what's your deal? (laughs) What's my deal? Yeah, that's my big interview question. I love it. Okay. (laughs) Well, it's funny because I noticed that the the like immediate response is like, okay, in what context? Like, <laughs> it makes me think of, okay. um, I think until until recently, or maybe still currently, your bio on Instagram says difficult to describe, <laughs> which resonates. Uh-huh. You know? I changed it last night. I, oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, I keep changing it. I uh, <laughs> I changed it to this space is uh, is in undergoing a transformation, and it has a caterpillar and a butterfly in it. <laughs> oh my god, that's so fucking cute! Sorry, can I swear on your podcast? It's called "Break Up with Your Bullshit." bullshit. <laughs> What's wrong? Oh yeah, with you? okay. Sorry, I don't know. Sorry, I'm used to like on our podcast because it is like vaguely Disney themed. Sometimes I like. I feel like I'm not supposed to be swearing, even though it's oh, not for kids. It's it's right. for adults. It's definitely it's for adults. Adult. Didn't you? You gave me a term the other day that was like, I'm an adult Disney fan or something like that. Disney adult is like a actually Disney? a category of human these days. Oh my God. I know we get a really bad rap because of Disney influencers, which are like a certain little uh, cult inside of the Disney adult cult. What? So yeah, there's a, it's like a whole subsection of the internet that um every once in a while when I need to like blow off some steam and feel like like you know how sometimes you need to do some hate scrolling yeah that I do that for Disney influencers (laughs) I just my life is different now because I know that Disney influencer (laughs) Oh yeah, a it's a whole thing. Oh yeah. Of course you know that. So everybody, Laura is my friend who really loves Disney along with Bay Quiney who um is the wife of Adam Quiney who I've had on a on the, a previous podcast to this. So if you've been following me for a while you might know Adam, but they do a podcast called West of Wonderland. What's your spiel on what it's about? Most of the time, I think uh West of Wonderland, we could call it like the leadership and self-development podcast for Disney adults, or we could also call it the like fun imagination infused way to see the world and leadership. We're kind of like, 
we use uh, both the things that we find magical and important um, in our own lives, but also in books and stories and theme parks that we both love and enjoy um, to actually map out a new archetype of leadership that we call imaginative leadership. Oh. So, yeah. Uh, in fact, on last week's episode, um, we, I think for the first time since the very beginning of our podcast, uh, which is almost two years old at this point. Hey, um, happy birthday almost. Thank you. Um, in true Leo fashion, I'm like way overshooting it. It's not till August, our second birthday, but... Shut up. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I need a moment. So that's a Leo thing? Oh, yeah. And okay. I'm a Leo and Bay is a Leo. Oh, In fact, gosh. we share a birthday. So our podcast also shares our birthday. It's just like, it's almost our second birthday in seven It's really months. close. It's the year of our second birthday. Six so. months. Yeah, that's yeah. hilarious. It's your birthday. <laughs> you know what? This is my birthday year, everybody. So let's exactly. really celebrate my birthday year. I I feel really embarrassed to admit this, but the year that Cody and I were supposed to get married, listeners, we did get married, but a year late due to COVID. Um, we I, I remember like in some like temper tantrum saying to someone like in complaint about how it was going with some of my family members, like, this is supposed to be the year we get married, as if it's like the whole year for like every person. It's your marriage year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the wedding year, really. It's it's about the event. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. There's a distinction you know? between wedding and marriage. So that makes totally. sense. Oh my <laughs> totally. gosh. Well, well, I want to go back to something you said uh, about what the podcast is because you gave two answers. And the first one was around the niche of Disney adults. And I thought when you said it, um, I thought, oh man, anyone of my followers who's listening to this, anyone who stumbles across this, who considers themselves a Disney adult would be an absolute heck yeah. <laughs> I dumbed it down for you, you know. Thank you so your, much. Yeah, yeah, to your West of Wonderland. <laughs> and then the second definition about leadership is like the way that us coaches shoehorn our interests into our coaching work and we make it go together. Yes. And I say shoehorn lovingly because I feel like that's where we start and that it it actually develops. And it does make sense because I do think leadership and coaching are applicable all over the place in various ways. And so I love how you two have found this cross-section between the thing you love and uh, and the work that you do. And I, not that we don't love our work, but hobbies and obsessions are very different than what we Absolutely. do to make a living. Totally. Well, and thank you so much for saying that. I mean, over here, um, the thing I started saying and then got really distracted and did not actually say is that on last week's episode, um, we actually talked about um, the origins of what we call imaginative leadership. And the easiest person for us to point to is actually Walt Disney, right. who... Um, you might remember I was talking to you about this last week, you know, some one of the things that people who, and again, like there's, there's people who like worship, does it's like kind of a mm-hmm. lot, uh, there's a lot of, we could throw some shade on another. Throw shade, another throw day. shade. Okay. Um, but one of the things that he actually did very well was sit and imagine stuff that hasn't been invented yet, but wondering like, okay, if I'm not interested in it not working out, 
Like, who do I need to be and who do I need to hire and how do I need to support them so that it actually becomes a thing? That's how Disneyland got created in the first place. Was so you got interested in it not working out. Like other people, I just want to re-say that because he he was not interested in the idea of it not working out. So he was interested, just, pre- just set your sights on this is going to work, is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, so there's like this commitment, mm-hmm. you know to something actually getting created that had never existed before. And people thought he was nuts and there was all kinds of ups and downs. But that's also, um, you know, I think one of the coolest things about it and part of the legacy that he left in his company and part of why I think Disney adults feel so passionately about this thing that we love so much is because it represents not only... um, you know, this place that we love to go to that for some of us reminds us of being a child and all of the wonder and imagination in the world and all that good stuff. But it also really, I think on a visceral level can remind us sometimes that like it takes something to be a leader in your own life and actually commit to impossible things becoming real and becoming true, you know? Um, So we love the spirit of that, that would be what I call like imaginative leadership. But you can also, if we trace back to the beginning of that, of the podcast, like as a project between me and Bay, part of what was fun about it was we, we were like, okay, if we're going to be imaginative leaders in the creation of this, uh, where do we start? You know, because mm-hmm. to your point, we were like, we love this and this and this, and we see a lot of overlap in the world of coaching and leadership development. So what does that mean? Right. And of course, I like to plan. So sometimes. So I was like, um, I was like, let's make some tools and let's make a training and let's make it a thing. And Bay was like, or um, let's start talking about it and yeah. let's see where it carries us. Ooh, she's a good partner for slowing you down there. So good. I, so I need that good. too. I mean, my husband does that. Like, or you could like slow your roll. Which is Uh also why my bio says this space is undergoing a transformation because I wrote out an entire new bio and I was going to hit publish on it. And I think I actually did. And then I went back and I'm like, okay, you've had some weed and you are in a place with a really good thought, but it may not be (laughs) hit the publish button right now. That (laughs) one. Right. So, okay. (laughs) Not that that has steered me wrong in the past. It hasn't. Most of my good ideas are high ideas. But uh, I <laughs> <laughs> way to just like pump the brakes lovingly, like hold on, hold on, you know. I, I considered having a rule about like maybe only sober publishing, but I don't know. That's a little boring. So <laughs> <laughs> rules generally, I think, are kind of boring and restrictive. You know? Right? Yeah. So I, I yes. just kind of let it hundred percent let it roll. Yeah, it's funny. Um, the. Uh, thing about having a partner that slows you down is really nice. You know, like I also know I've been doing a little bit of work on um, my human design profile mm-hmm. and that uh, showed me that I'm actually a very good project starter and idea person. And that's where I thrive. And that's why I need people like Bay because she will actually think about like the implementation, the right. sustainability. You know, I go nuts. I get high on the possibility of something. I'm like, yeah, it's so easy. Let's do it. And you are, it. what's your human design? Uh, I am a four, six. I don't know numbers. What's um, the name? Cause you told me mine is manifesting generator and I, Oh yeah. Mine is my name. um, Say it again. Manifesting generator. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) Mine is, um, initiating manifester. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. So like, I'll kick it off, but 
Right. You were telling me that the other day. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I relate to that. I'm, I'm great at kicking things off too. And I'm not so great at bringing stuff to fruition. Um, only though, because I think it's because I start from obsession and if my obsession goes somewhere else, I lose all motivation for whatever mm-hmm. I'm doing. And so I have to find this cross section constantly between my obsession and the thing that I'm working on and can move forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's tricky. Yeah. I mean, that's also, um, you identify with ADHD, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a like hallmark of ADHD. Mm-hmm. And particular... I have OCD as well. So it, it's okay. a nice little cocktail. Yeah. It sounds like it. Mm-hmm. Um, question. When it comes to like learning your operating system, so to speak, like, you know, those different ecosystems of yours, um, how do you see that with your clients? Like we, we've been, you and I, and you mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we've been talking about kind of the distinction between like creatives, creative people versus like creators, you know, people Mm -hmm. who are really producing a lot and like very like forward moving when it comes to getting their stuff out there. Yeah. Um, this is a really abstract question that I'm forming while we're talking. That's cool. Keep going. But yeah, what have you learned for you when it comes to like navigating your obsession as it relates to your creativity, as it relates to your, ready for this word I'm about to make up? Yes. Creatorship. Ooh. <laughs> oh, I really like that. Um, I was going to say, are you like regretting having me on today? I'm like, here's this really yeah, weird can question. Can you leave, please? No, I uh, I don't even know. My answer is like, I, I don't know what I'm learning. I, mm. I think that I'm consistently in the process of exploration with my clients, discovering stuff with them. And when, when they uncover blind spots, it's typically not something I also saw. It's usually something we're, we're finding out at the same time. And then I'll see something about myself because of what they saw. Mm. Uh, even something just as simple as, oh, they realize they're not taking a lot of risks. And then I go, oh, here's where I'm not taking risks and things like that. But I don't know. I think a lot of my clients over the years, especially, were just exactly the same in terms of we need to be fucking obsessed in order to actually take action around something. And so I've done a lot of work with people around figuring out their creative code. What actually gets you motivated and how can we create the conditions for that so that you can get moving? Uh, And just to say something about the creative creator distinction, this is from this morning. This is a brand new idea I'm having that I think is going to be my entire platform of Creatives have lots of ideas. Creators make lots of shit. I work with creators. And um, I texted you because I was like, I can't post about this. It's going to sound like I'm attacking Laura. Oh, that's so cute. (laughs) That's hilarious. You really thought that? Yeah. I was like, oh, it's kind of like a war on what you're like who you're working with in a way it's not but it but it could it could get taken like oh oh why are you saying that about me kind of thing you know not you but maybe your people and uh for so long we've had the same niche yeah and I'm I've been trying to figure out what is it about my niche 
that isn't quite it for me. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Never, it's always been this kind of default thing. I work with creatives. I work with creatives. And uh, and it has never felt like the end-all be-all for me. Mm-hmm. And yet I always come back to it. So it's been this kind of perplexing thing. But then I find someone like Mr. Beast and am so drawn to the, not the grind and the hustle, but the clarity of commitment and the constant forward motion and the never second guessing, just go. And that's always been my energy. And I think that that's, that's what led me to this distinction and to kind of be polarizing and say, creatives have ideas, creators make things, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I think it's a good descriptor. I think it's great. I also was thinking when you were just like kind of naming these things about like part of what draws you in with Mr. Beast just as like one profile of of creator is like the other thing that I think has always been really clear to me for you with your creativity or how you are in coaching creatively or like how you play in the niche, I guess, is like, because I think that's part of why you and I have always been drawn to each other is we like mm-hmm. share this thing and it is a slightly different color, so to speak, for for both of us. So like it's when I got your text this morning, um, I got really excited about it because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, cool. Like I can see for each of us the particular, um, you know, uh, place on the map is like actually crystallized now. Yeah. And yeah. so it actually makes sense for us to have some language and get to talk about the distinctions between like creators and creatives because we do source them differently. And I, um, it's, it's so lovely of you to like think about that, you know, like to me, I feel excitement and relief that like we actually have, like for me, it's easier to own on my end and probably yeah. easier for you to own too, Yes, you know, and I can feel the alignment for you as you talk about this. Like, I think one other thing, um, I'm really all over the place right now, but you can just tell. That's my entire podcast. Uh, It's always like this. Okay, Okay, great. It's just like West of Wonderland, except we're more like, this is what's happening with Splash Mountain right now. Oh my Um, God. (laughs) (laughs) There's actually a lot going on. So let me know if you ever want to talk about it. Um, There is like, the other thing that I think is so cool about creators, and one thing that to me is like a hallmark of you, is like there is in addition to like a clarity of commitment, there's also a commitment to production, like to excellent production. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And to me, that is you to a T. Thanks. Yeah. You're welcome. It's it's very clear over here. I I think that's why I needed to just take a break because I wasn't making things that I was super proud of. I was just making for the algorithm. Mm. What did that guy say yesterday? There's that video and he, uh, Hassan Minaj um, yeah. was on Colin and Samir podcast. And, and he said, uh, if you are just creating for the algorithm, you're going to be refining crude oil for the rest of your life. And that hit, that hit hard. Um, though I do think that Jimmy, I'm just going to say Jimmy. So Mr. Beast's name is Jimmy, everybody. If you don't Our know who Mr. Beast is, fix yourself. Um <laughs> it's like let's just start out by being a complete asshat about this. Um, but Jimmy uh learned the algorithm really well to the point where I would actually guess that he influences it in a lot of ways by what he starts doing, and then people copy him, and then um he he realized really 
at some point, I want to say early on, but I, to him, to hear him talk about it, he talks about how long he went without really gaining any traction on YouTube whatsoever um, to crossing a hundred million subscribers to becoming the most subscribed to person on YouTube because he recognized a few elements that are super important. And one of them is audience retention. So it's not enough to get someone to click on your video. You need to, mm. and, and it's not enough to have a good title. You need to deliver on the title within the first hmm, five to 10 seconds. You need to deliver on that title. So people know that what they clicked on is actually what they're seeing. And then you need to hold their intention for the entire video. So I heard someone ask him, how long should my videos be? And he's like, how long can you hold people's attention? Because whatever that number is, that's how long your video should be if you want them to be wow. seen. And in order to hold people's attention, you need to make really good videos. So mm -hmm. his entire goal has been, I just want to make the best videos possible. I mean, you can hear the clarity of intention in that, right? Yeah. It's like with that, everything else can fall in line. Yeah. But if you're not clear about the target, how the heck do you know which part of the algorithm you're even... What are you like? playing for? Yeah. Laura... I went through, I've been, I've been listening to a lot of creators, uh, on Twitter. Mostly they hang out on Twitter. So I've been on Twitter again, because that's where they are. And, uh, and I'm, I'm just following all of these YouTube people and listening to their conversations and getting in the comments and asking quote, stupid questions, because I have no idea what they're talking about. Mm. I saw someone say, Hey, so I had a viral video about eight years ago. The stuff I'm doing now is nothing like that. And I'm still getting a lot of subscribers from that video. Do you guys think I should, what should I do? Should I take the video down? Should I um, make a video update about how I'm not doing that anymore? What should I do? And someone said, you should private that video immediately. And I was like, what? Why? And so I asked, I was like, Hey, if you wouldn't mind, can you explain to me why you're giving this advice? And he was like, yeah, because it's not what he's doing anymore. And it's only hurting his current niche to have that up at all. Driving any, like any traffic he gets from this, this old viral video is hurting him essentially, because it's bringing in audience members who are expecting something that's not what he is delivering anymore. So they will be clicking and not watching and mm -hmm. that will hurt his overall numbers and his, uh, it will hurt his relationship with the algorithm. And I was like, that makes complete sense. And I never would have thought. No. Well, without that explanation, without yeah. it being so specific, because if the explanation ended with, well, it just, you know, da, 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 like actually knowing the mechanics of yeah. like why the retention of that, of that clicker is important. I would never think that way. Exactly. So I, I ended up going into, you know, I had a lot of YouTube accounts, but uh, my just my Michelle Aiken account, you know, the one that I'm commenting with right now, the one that I'm subscribed to Mr. Beast, uh, like I'm paying $5 a month just to support him on YouTube. There's no perks. Literally, you click on one of the perks <laughs> and it goes, there's no perks. I just need money to pay for all the stuff I'm doing. That's like, okay, so great. sure, Jimmy. <laughs> so, I remember. So refreshing. Right? Um, but I went through all of my YouTube videos that were on the Michelle Aiken account and I had no idea how many vlogs I did on that account. I forgot because it was Grace and Michelle, Action Pals, Smush 21, my singing channel, it was all that stuff. And then fart with headphones on. I made tons of stuff on that channel. And then I, when I became a coach, I created the Michelle Aiken channel. And apparently I did like 300 videos and I just don't remember. Wow. What a blast them. from the past. Yeah. So I privated almost everything. I privated 
every video, which by the way, you have to do manually. You cannot bulk private. Oh, you no. have to click a disclosure triangle, hit that, uh, press private. And then it's like, do you understand blah, 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 what this means to private the video? Check yes. And then hit okay. There's so many buttons to, and I had to go individual. It took me a really long time. That is um, like a strong <laughs> commitment to your integrity right there uh-huh. to like spend the time. Oh God. It's not dissimilar from things like, um, like Google folders, or if you go into like work on your iCloud storage, it's like, you have mm-hmm. to do everything manually. It's exhausting. Oh, yeah. So oh, exhausting. God. Digital clutter. Speaking yeah. of digital noise, tell uh-huh. me, <laughs> look at my segue. I should be on the nose. That was tell so good. Um, here it is. Oh, is it so how to be creative in the age of digital noise. Read me your subtitle. Clear out the clutter and get into your flow for a fulfilling, passionate life. Ooh. So Laura, I didn't read your book. I tried to. I couldn't keep my attention on it because all I want to do is listen to Jimmy Donaldson talk about YouTube and his career. And I have spent um, tens and tens of hours doing that and every other book, anything else, even fan fiction. I can't focus. I like, I'm like, I can't read this. Yeah. Can't read well, anything right now. you know, far be it from me to stand in the way of your current obsession. That's totally fine. Okay, I was I actually going to ask you if you had, you. um, <laughs> that's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Put me on your list of like follow-up obsessions. Okay. Uh, I need to activate the obsession. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So this book, um, it's kind of cool actually, now that we're, we're sort of playing in the distinction between like creator and creative. Yeah. Um, so this book, how to be creative in the age of digital noise, this book is not for people who are like, I'm already on YouTube. I know what I'm up to. I know what my goals are. I'm like really good at working on stuff. That's not for these people necessarily. This is like, if you are feeling overwhelmed about like, you have a million ideas, some of what's in your way is like, you know, your own perfectionism, or I think a lot of who this book has been speaking to is also people like me who grew up a very like artsy kid, very expressed. And then, you know, you become an adult and you don't have like, you know, I was, I was thinking back when I was writing sections of this book to like how I spent my time as a teenager. And I was like, wow, okay. First thing in the morning I had choir and then I had like some other subjects and then I had choir and then I had like lunch and then I had choir. And then I had like after school, I was producing theater or hanging out with friends in a coffee shop or like, how did you have choir so often? What, what is this? Uh, we had many different choirs at my high school and I auditioned for them. Yeah. I understand. I'm, yeah. <laughs> we were out of a like in Chapel Hill High School is weirdly a place where like the arts are very normal, very cool. You know, okay. that was like in the book, I'm sure I share a little bit about like the the switch that happens for a lot of us where like there's a certain point when you're an arts focused child. I'm sure it's not different for like athletes. I bet there's like a whole body of work waiting to be explored here too. Um, but like, there's a moment that happens sometimes specifically and sometimes gradually where this like creative joy that we have gets, um, mutated where suddenly it's not about us having fun and doing this thing anymore. It's about the consumability of it, the castability of it, the future ability, the career ability. I just made that up. Um, and so I can't, I can't like 
look at a system and be like, this system, because I had to be cast in a play in high school, it fucked up my creative joy forever, which is true. But like, it's not the system's fault. Like yeah. to, to create a play, you got to cast people according to what they can do. You know what I mean? There's like yeah. stuff that needs to happen, but there is an impact to us when we can't, when we start thinking about how things look and we start thinking about where we are in a pecking order and it's not fun anymore. Yeah. And for me, that is also kind of dovetailing with, um, that's, I think that pressure is when I started to create my vocal nodes, when I was just like, I got to compete and I got to sound a certain way. And it literally took my voice away. Like it took I've it. I've never talked to you about this before. You about know? how that actually occurred. Yeah. That's wild, Laura. I know. Well, this book wrote itself very fast, but I had to take a really long break after I wrote about the nodes because they are like, like, I don't even know how many people in my coaching community really know about them. I, yeah, I think I told someone and they were like, oh, really? (laughs) Like, oh, you don't know that? I at least knew that you had nodes. I just, uh, and I did get to that part. I did read a bunch of your book. I just then was like, Jimmy, Jimmy's my squirrel. Oh, so um, you did actually read some of it. Oh yeah, no, I did. You made I it did. sound I like just, you didn't even pick it up. I know, but I, I got, it's it not very like, long. I was just not, I know it's not, well, that's why I'm like, oh, I didn't read your book. Cause well, I, it's funny. I, Cause my perspective is like, oh, so you read a good chunk of it. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I told you I was going to read. I sat down and had all my good intentions. And then my brain was like, but what about that Colin and Samir yeah. interview you haven't listened to? I'm like, <laughs> I gotta get back to that. Sorry. Carry on. You were saying, yeah, no, uh, I, I think I got to the part where you started discussing nodes and, um, maybe, maybe even I could feel all of the emotional stuff about it. And I was like, I can't do this right now. It's so a like, lot. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And it's not even my story. <laughs> okay. But I need that feedback because okay. that shows me I'm not just an idiot for being so heartbroken about it no, for so long. Big, like, I mean, look, I get depressed when I lose my voice for a week. I get legitimately depressed. Yeah. Um, I get so, I've cried once I, you know, that moment when you realize you're beginning to lose your voice, I've just spent like an hour crying right when it starts. Cause I'm like, I am not going to be able to vocalize in the same way for the next X amount of time. Mm-hmm. And so I can't even imagine, uh, that happening and just all of the fear and everything that, that goes into that because it's essentially your Ariel. Mm-hmm. You're like, you don't have a voice basically. But without the restoration, like I kind of forget like one of the, I mean, first of all, thank you for saying that because this is a pain that I have very quietly walked through and processed kind of by myself. And it wasn't until I think it was right before I started writing this book, I was going through some files or getting rid of some stuff. And um, in the back of a notebook, I found this handout that I took away from vocal therapy at Duke Mm. over a decade ago when I was like trying. And I was just like flooded with feelings. I was just like, oh my God. Like I remember how hopeless I felt. I remember how angry and how um, one of the things that made me so angry about it was that, um, you know, nobody around me seemed to understand the extent of my devastation. So how was I supposed to practice speaking differently? Yeah. Through that fog of 
disappointment and heartbreak. Like there's just no, there was just no way. Mm -hmm. And when I think back to where I was right before I started the coaches training program, you know, I was working in the service industry. I was doing improv and a lot of how I got into improv was a byproduct of having notes because I was really scared to audition for plays consistently because I didn't know what would happen with my voice. And improv, fortunately, the very nature of improv kind of lets you roll with whatever's there. You You have to. Yeah. And so I went like all in because I was like, okay, this place will have me. Yeah. And um, like, I remember some of my coworkers at the coffee shop Um, I remember one of them invited me to go to this like kundalini yoga class with her and kundalini is a lot of vocalizing and it was really uncomfortable for me because it was in the morning and I had no voice and all this stuff. And I remember at the end she was like, oh, Westy, I'm so sorry. I forgot about your, your voice thing. You know, like I would have, I would have told you, I just totally forgot. And I was like that, I remember that because I, that's one of the only moments of like somebody in my life at the time, like acknowledging that that was like such a thing, but it really Mm -hmm. was for years, Michelle, like years, years. Wow. And we're coming up on the one year um, anniversary of Bay and I going to Orlando, Florida together for the first time. And that's a trip where I lost my voice. Oh yeah. You got sick. I did. I lost my voice and then I got really sick. (gasps) I got the stomach flu. It was not good. Wow. But the voice thing killed me at first. I was like, why? I was like, why am I in my favorite place on the planet? And I can't like comfortably like say to Bay things like, look how cute and look how cute and look. It's because I screamed my butt off on the freaking VelociCoaster. Like I kind of did that to myself. So when we went in December, I, um, did I tell you about this at all? No. Oh gosh. So, um, I learned a lot from like losing my voice and getting sick. You know, that was one of those times where When I was reflecting on the trip, I was like, okay, this is where like my years of ontological work, like I can really put them to work for my joy is like, how do I, how do I learn how to enjoy a trip like this? It could be such a toll on my well-being, but like, how do I enjoy it well? And like, you know, take care of myself. And so when we went again in December, which by the way is absurd, I can't believe we did it twice in one year. I still can't believe we did that. We're crazy people. Um, But uh, I made a little bargain with myself. like. We went, the first ride we did was Space Mountain. First thing in the morning, I screamed, screamed, and screamed. It was so fun. I was like a fiend screaming and it was great. And then afterwards, we we're standing in line for coffee and I was like feeling it. And I was like, mm-mm. And I started panicking a little. And then I was like, I told Bay I just needed a minute. And I just sort of quietly like, made a little deal with my voice. I was like, hey, I'm really sorry. I just did that to you. We don't do this very often. I promise you, if you hang in there, if you don't get worse, I will find a different way to have fun. I will not scream anymore. And we will have a good time. And I will not strain you. Amazing. And it was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so the rest of the trip... There was a little bit of screaming, but most of it was laughing in a different register, which yeah. totally fucks up your experience of roller coasters because like, like I, I like giggled through the VelociCoaster multiple times, which is <laughs> absurd. <laughs> but like, I think that's how I did it so many times and had a great freaking time instead of being so scared. Like I wasn't allowed to scream, you know? That is amazing. Like it's a good uh, metaphor. It really is. 
Can you giggle instead of scream? I mean, yeah. By the way, something you said earlier about dealing with it mostly by yourself made me think how much creative expression in all of humanity has been hampered simply by that person not having anywhere where they can feel heard. And so they just shove and then stop expressing altogether. Mm -hmm. And it's why I think it's really important for you that you wrote about it in this book and like get it out, tell your story because what happens next? What's the next book when you've already told that story? So there's like, then what do you talk about? It's like, there's so much beyond being heard, but being heard has to happen first mm -hmm. before we can start expressing beyond that. A hundred percent. Well, and it's cool to hear you say that in that way, because I think the book itself, it has three sections. One of them is about distinguishing, like distinguishing mm -hmm. the ecosystems that we are a part of and what's our experience being in those. The second part is about your relationship with your creative voice. And that's where I'm, you know, I tell, I want to be really clear that this book is intentionally not like a long memoir. It's a tool, but in order to illustrate the points of the tool, I do a bit of sharing memoir. and storytelling. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, so there's some stuff about basically like the trust and development of your creative voice. Like, how do you know? Um, there's a thread throughout the book. Um, do you ever talk to people who are like, oh, I really want to be creative again, but I don't know, like, what's my thing? I don't really know. I don't really know. Yeah, that's like uh, the thing I want to move away from because it frustrates me. <laughs> yes. That's a pretty but solid. But Laura, it's because, it's because I'm in that conversation and I'm annoyed with myself. <laughs> that's nice awareness good yeah. to know yeah um, oh wait I have to tell you this one thing by the way we have to do another podcast because we didn't I didn't I messed up my schedule and we don't have enough time but I I thought to myself if I was face to face with Mr. Beast and uh he asked me well what do you want to do the thing that rises to the top is singing hmm. and I think it always has because I love singing for people I love it uh, it's my favorite form of expression. Um, and and I feel really pulled in a lot of directions and I'm good at a lot of stuff and whatever. Like mm -hmm. I can I can sing, I can write, I can coach, I can, th there's just all these things that I could be focusing on. And uh, I know for sure, for certain, for certain, I was going to say sure. And then I almost said for sure. Shorten? For certain. I know for certain that uh, that singing is, one of my absolute favorite I mean I get depressed when I can't do it so like clearly yeah. that's the thing you know it's not video yeah. creation though I do feel a, a pull to play that game now that I know a lot of tricks right well I do think I think these different avenues of creative practice they fulfill different needs Ooh, say more well think about it like to me producing something like video production, for example, would be, and it, tell me how it is for you. Cause like, I don't know, but, um, for me, that would be like, okay, great. I have a goal. I'm going to make something da, 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 da. like, there's probably like very clear outcomes in place, et cetera. And there's probably something really satisfying in like, not only the process and the choices you're going to make, but like when it's done being able oh, to yeah. be like, ha -ha, Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. With singing, you're 
like the whole time you're doing it, you are in that moment of expression. You are in that moment of connection. And for me, I mean, just like we've been talking about, um, there's a really uh, deep resonance in myself. Like I feel connected to me at a very deep level. I feel connected to whoever I'm singing for or with. I feel very connected to like the universe in whatever capacity you want to think about the, you know, the spiritual world. But like there is some really powerful, like embodied creative beauty happening. And it's like a sustained feeling mm. for the entirety of that song or like yeah. whatever I'm doing, you know? And so to and so to me, like when I'm working on a thing that I'm like producing, like this book, for example, there was like the channeling of the content. And then there was like this fun part of like the creation and the editing and the like putting it out there and like literally making it, yeah. you know, which was a very different experience than like being in the rapture of like just the writing and the letting it come and be what it needed to be. So yes. I think that especially for you and for any of us with like, you know, multiple different um, creative talents. Like, I do think they fulfill different needs You're and kind right. of give us different experiences, you know? They really do. Because I, I mean, right. So right now I'm in the middle of producing a video that I may or may not end up making, uh, which is fine. I've been documenting my process of sending my daughter's art to Mr. Beast. So you know all about this. You're this making whole, a video of it? I've been vlogging the whole time. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, it just, it kept dawning on me. Turn on the camera, turn on the camera. Just, just get footage of you. I was spending so much time and energy getting the, so short story is Mr. Beast put up an Instagram story saying, Hey, I have this big empty wall at my studio. Uh, I need to fill it with art. So here's my address, send art here. I will open the boxes on March 25th. At the time of this podcast recording, it's March 15th and he's going to receive mine tomorrow. Uh, I know because I'm tracking it. And uh, and I, my daughter made paintings. I was like, these paintings are six-year-old's paintings. And I think he was really asking for like art, custom art, art of his like <laughs> logo and stuff. That, But he said, if you want to make a drawing, send it. So he did say that, but... I just, I've watched his live streams in the past, or at least I watched one to kind of see how does it usually go? What's it like? Mm -hmm. And I know that he's thinking about audience retention mm -hmm. while he's doing a live stream. I've, I've just been studying this kid. Okay. So I know exactly what's going through his brain while he's doing this live stream. I know because at the last one, his friends who were supposed to come and be there were late. And he's so like, oh, this isn't interesting. You guys are hurting retention. Like, get here. Why aren't you here? <laughs> like, he's like, I'm not interested enough by myself. Where are you? Like yeah. people, we're going to lose people. Wow. And he's like saying it out loud, you know? Um, so I'm like, what can I do to make myself the most interesting so that it gets on the live stream? So we he definitely hangs it up. It becomes a thing because someone sent a, someone sent him a box that looked like a Mario cube, you know, in Mario mm. when you jump mm -hmm. and you, mm -hmm. and they opened that like second because it was an interesting box. So Amazing. I'm like, okay, so here are all the ways I'm not going to go into all the ways I decided to make our package, the most interesting package that will arrive. Um, that's for the mini documentary that I just filmed. But uh, <laughs> Laura, when I went to transfer photo and video from my phone. I went down my phone and I'm selecting and selecting and I go, uh, you know, share to, to iMac and it goes sharing 98 items. 
oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's amazing. Photos and videos I took in the last few weeks of doing this. And I, I, and I just got it all in iMovie and started looking through the selects and like, oh yeah, like this could actually, I'm not sure what the story is yet exactly. So I'm waiting just like I waited her. She did her two paintings and I was like, I'm not sure yet what I'm going to do to make this interesting, but I'm going to do something. And I would walk by them every day and just go, I'm not sure what you are yet, but it's coming. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of where I'm at with this, right. With this video. And I think it's going to be really good or I'm just going to scrap it completely. I I really don't know what's going to happen yet. And I'm okay with either. I'm just trusting. Totally. I love it. It's also very, um, uh, if I give a little women reference, will it track? I won't get it, but you go ahead. Okay. So in the newer movie, Greta Gerwig directed, Florence Pugh is uh, Amy March. And Amy is typically, um, people don't like her. They think she's kind of a spoiled brat, but Mm -hmm. um, she gets a really good edit in the new movie. Let's just put it that way. And there's this line of hers where she's, she's in France. She's learning how to paint. And um, she's talking to another character about her ambitions with her art. And, um, you know, she basically goes, I want to be great or nothing. Yes, that. I feel like that. I love that. Yeah. I've also heard Jimmy say that. He's really? like, I'm, either I'm going to be uh, the biggest YouTuber of all time or my entire life's a failure. <laughs> right. He said that. And I I feel like that. It's why I'm okay. Look, people were like going off social media. That must've been so hard. I'm like, no, because it's the nothing choice. And I'd yeah. rather do nothing than do mediocre bullshit for an algorithm that I'm not even happy with. And that honestly, isn't even making me that much money though. I will say I did make a lot of money in 2021 comparatively to mm. last year. And so our taxes our taxes are so low. Like our, it's the lowest return we've had in like a decade. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. We just got news yesterday. It's like, oh, you owe this. And I was like, wait, is that correct? <laughs> Did I really make so much less money last year when I was off social media? Wow. Yeah, Cause I wasn't launching programs. I wasn't doing live events mm-hmm. uh, online. I wasn't, I wasn't doing any of that. So I just didn't make as much money. Yeah. Chilled the fuck out. But like, it was so good for my soul. Totally. I mean, it's so crazy, like the complexity and like the nuance of this stuff, you know, like part of why I wanted to write the book is because, well, so first of all, just so that people are very clear, like the book is not just all about my feelings. Like part of it is about like, hey, let's actually look at the nitty gritty of like what you're doing to not not in a um, self-blamey way, like what you're doing to yourself, because I do think that like social media is designed to be very addictive. So I don't think that placing all the blame on you you know, is necessarily fair, but we, it does go into some of the nitty gritty about like, why is it so hard to like put our phones down and actually make meaningful things? So kind of like breaking it down. Um, and there are, there's a choice point in the book that actually asks you to choose, like, would you like to go analog or do you actually want to commit to building an ecosystem in your life that includes, you know, social media and other quote unquote digital noise, but in a way that's actually really intentional. Oh, I do. Can you help me? (laughs) <laughs> just read that third third section get past the fucking part of the book with the nodes michelle yeah it's almost over if you've made it that far you're really yeah. close to the end of that section okay um but yeah it i, I thank you for like having a hard time getting through that it actually really it means a lot to me in a weird way like it was hard to write it and just be like okay bye yeah i'm sure <laughs> you know? well it is very personal and mm-hmm. i i like that you said just 
just to be clear, everybody, the whole book isn't about my feelings because I feel like if someone started reading it, they might feel like that. They might just be, is this chick just going to tell me about all the bad stuff that's happened to her or are we going to talk about something no. else? Yeah. I tried to keep so, it to a minimum. I even, I asked my editor who is, uh, my sister who is a librarian, actually. I asked her, I was like, is it is there too much of that? You know, like, do I need to scale back? Is there too much about theater camp? You know, and she was like, no, 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 it's a good amount. It's very entertaining. I got a lot out of it. I was like, <laughs> okay. And she's like a Scorpio and she also has autism. So I know that she would actually be really straight with me if it was like too much. Yes. <laughs> you know. So <laughs> that's a good uh <laughs> solid solid recommendation there. Totally. Well, also like I I was also very cognizant in the creation of this of like not wanting to contribute to more quote unquote noise, noise. by well, like I love that it's short, Laura. I I was like I nobody needs another self help book. They're not going to finish. Yeah, nobody no. needs that. Well, I didn't finish it, but that's not my fault. It's Jimmy. <laughs> this is Jimmy. Touche. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read your book, and then we're going to have another podcast after which I have read the book, and that will be the part two of this interview. How about Wonderful. That? I can't wait. Mm. Um, really quick before we wrap, let me just tell all of you: Please. you can get my book. We'll link to it, I guess, and stuff like that. Yeah, it'll be in the description. Digital noise. Um, I also have a course that is going to be available for purchase probably by the time you listen to this. I don't have to confirm the dates, but it's called Tangible Creatives Academy. And again, this is for people who are like, I would really like to get over my perfectionism and actually get into a healthy, sustainable way of making my shit. Yeah. So, I mean, I even have tools in TCA that literally helps you chart what are all the different phases of your creative process so that you don't get stuck in them. So, yeah, I really stand by it. I think it's like really fucking cool. I love it. I love it, Laura. What's your um, Instagram? It's at Westy Grand. W. Sorry, let me try that again. W. E-S-T-Y-G-R-A-M-M-E-D. Westy is an old nickname from my coffee days. That's right. And it was back when Instagram just started and we put our name and then Graham at the end thinking it was very clever. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Later, Graham. Remember later, Grahams? <laughs> oh my God. What oh a time. Goodness. What a time. Well, uh, I did learn from Jimmy that the best thing to do is end videos abruptly. So goodbye. <laughs>